Tradition. I know everybody was waiting for one of those good mornings from Pastor Sean, but if you're in the back and you can't see, I'm not Pastor Sean, I'm Jason. But I say the word tradition, you might think that's a little bit of a strange way to greet someone on a Sunday morning. But if I were to say that my name was Tevya and I came from a little obscure town called Anatevka, you might have a different thought. For those of you who are familiar with musical productions, you know that I'm probably referring to the musical The Fiddler on the Roof. And if you didn't, now you do. But in this musical production that is very well known, Tevya is a gentleman that explains that his community has traditions for everything. They have traditions for how to sleep, how to work, how to wear clothes. And he also says that everyone in their village is like a fiddler on a roof trying to scratch out a pleasant tune. And the way that they keep their balance on the roof is by tradition. Now, I have a question about tradition for us all this morning. Is there anything wrong with tradition? And the answer is, of course not. Tradition itself is not a problem. There's nothing wrong with tradition. But there are times when fixating on tradition, above all else, can keep us from God's truth. And when this is the case, we realize that some traditions are transient. And if you're a young person, you're like, wait a second, what does transient mean? Transient means something is not enduring, not permanent, not enduring or lasting. It's temporary. It's like snow that comes in the winter and evaporates in the spring. And yet, while there's traditions in our world that are transient, God's word is timeless, amen? And that is, brings us to the title of our passage, of our, of our sermon this morning which is the transient traditions of men can keep us from God's timeless truth. The transient traditions of men can keep us from God's timeless truth. This is going to be coming to us from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15. And Matthew is one of the four Gospel accounts that covers the life of Jesus. And Matthew's account is written with a particularly Jewish style. It has many different references to the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies, as well as covering the genealogy of Jesus and his fulfillment as he is the Messiah, the chosen one sent to redeem Israel. But as we get ready to turn to Matthew chapter 15, let's ask God to bless our time this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we pray that you would allow your word to come alive this day and that it would speak to us and apply to us here in our current context in northern New Jersey. Lord, we pray that at, uh, through this entire process that you would be glorified and that we, your people, would be edified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of God says in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, Well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
And he called the people to him, and they said to them, Hear and understand, verse 11, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered them, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, well, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Now, in this passage of, of Scripture, we're seeing a major contrast of viewpoints. On the one hand, you have the Pharisees that are focusing on their tradition and using that as the basis for their understanding of how they should seek God. And Jesus is coming at it from a completely different perspective because he is instead upholding God's word instead of tradition itself. Now, the religious leaders came all the way to Galilee to question Jesus and to inspect his disciples. You might be thinking, why did they come and they ask, the disciples, or ask about the disciples? Why didn't they just ask about Jesus himself? And at this time, a rabbi or a teacher was somebody who would instruct his disciples or his followers to do everything that he did so that if you were to inspect the lives of the disciples, you would get a good representation of what that rabbi or teacher was instructing them in. And the Pharisees were a religious sect of that day that were very well versed in the matters of the law, both the written law in the scriptures and the oral law in the traditions of the elders. And they held them in such high regard, the traditions of the elders, that they almost saw them as authoritative as scripture itself. And this becomes particularly problematic because when they did that, instead of focusing on God's word, it led to a hypocritical form of worship instead of a genuine one. And that brings us to our very first point in our outlines this morning, this sermon. Our first point is this. The transient traditions of men lead to a hypocritical worship of God. The transient traditions of men lead to a hypocritical worship of God. This comes from verses 1 and 2 and 7 and 9. And in verses 1 and 2, you see that the Pharisees come to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem and they ask him, why don't your disciples wash your hands? And why are they breaking the tradition of the elders? And you might be thinking, why are they asking him this question? Why would they travel all the way from Jerusalem to inspect their hygiene? And the reason that they did this was because they were trying to catch Jesus in error so that they could discredit him because they were the religious leaders of the day. If someone had a question about the law, they went to speak to the Pharisees or the scribes. But if somebody else arose and they had more knowledge and they had more authority on God's word and everybody started following someone else, like Jesus, then their place in society would fall apart. Hence the reason why they wanted to catch Jesus in the wrong and they asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? But quick Bible trivia question for you. Is there a commandment in Scripture that all of God's people, for every single meal that we ever eat, must wash your hands or you are spiritually and utterly unclean? No, there's not. And you might be thinking, well, then what are the Pharisees referring to? And you've heard me speak about this oral law. And the oral law is something that 
was uh, elaborated on by a commentator named Leon Morris. Leon Morris says this, quote, this phrase refers to the oral law, which is a continuing elaboration of rules for living based on the Old Testament law, but going far beyond it, which developed eventually into the incredibly detailed regulations of the Mishnah, end quote. And so you see that in these verses, Jesus calls this tradition your tradition. He's not saying that it's his tradition that he has upheld, but he says it is your tradition. And that's because it was developed by men. Even though they thought that they meant well in what they were doing, what these Pharisees were doing was that they were creating a tradition that was transient. It was temporary, it was not lasting, it was not enduring. And yet it is because of this understanding of the law that Jesus rebukes them so strongly in verses 7 through 9. He says to them, you hypocrites, strong wording, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teachings, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see that Jesus rebukes these men because they're teaching their traditions as equal to the very words of God. And this is problematic for us because when we take teachings that are not from God and we elevate them to the same standard as God's word, we unintentionally devalue God's word in the process because we make the word of God something as valuable just as my word or your word or anyone's word. And that is not what we should be doing. And the only problem with doing this is that God gave us his word so that we might know how to walk in obedience before him and how to worship him. In the Old Testament, God could have said, I want you to worship me. And the way that you do it doesn't matter. Just remember, you focus on me. Make sure that I'm the object of worship. And the way that you do that doesn't really matter. And yet, you see that that was not the case. God gave very detailed and specific instructions for how people should worship God according to what God decreed, not to what people created in their own minds. And you see that the Pharisees, as they were looking to walk faithfully before God, they were in reality just offering lip service to God and not true heartfelt worship. Because in changing the nature of following God, it no longer was the same. Let me illustrate it for you in, a little, in, in this way. If you were somebody and you wanted to go and get your master's degree, say in engineering or another field, and you were to go to an accredited institution or university and you were to look at their optimal schedule for the classes, the internships, all the requirements, everything that it would take to get you a degree from said university, and you were to say to perhaps the guidance counselor or the person in the office, you know, this optimal schedule looks good, but I created my own, actually. And what I was hoping we could do is, you still give me a master's degree from your institution, but I only have to fulfill the requirements on my optimal schedule. Would that work? No, it would not. Or it would be like going to play a sport, and instead of going and playing and competing according to the rules, you bring your own rule book that you created, and you say, hey, everyone, we're going to play this way. And when you get ejected from the game, everyone's going to wonder, why did you do that? because you wanted to change the nature of something but still have the same result. Or for those of you, if you're living in an apartment, if you were to go to your landlord and bring a contract of uh, your living and you were to say to them, you know, instead of paying for utilities and X amount of dollars a month, why don't I just pay $5 a month, you cover utilities, but I still get to live there with all the amenities that I already established with you? Would they allow you to stay? No, most likely not. 
And that's because when we change the very nature of something, we cannot expect it to have the same results. And my point in illustrating that is because what the Pharisees were doing was that they were changing the nature of what it meant to follow God from God's word to man's word. And because of that, it was problematic, and their worship became hypocritical instead of heartfelt. And yet, it's true for us in our relationship with God as well at times. There are times where we might be hypocritically worshiping God according to a tradition that isn't based on God's word, and maybe even, like the Pharisees, was contrary to God's word. It's something that is easy to do. And that's why in James it says that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. James 1, 22. Are we people that are doing that? Are we hearing God's word and obeying it and living it out in our lives? Or are we people that hear it but then forget to live it out? Are we people that become impartial to those who enter into our midst by making distinctions among ourselves and becoming judges with evil thoughts, like James 2 says? Are we people that obey God's word that says when we are slandered, we entreat the other, like 1 Corinthians 4 says? Are we people that do all things without grumbling or disputing that we might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation like Philippians 2 says? Or do we constantly disguise criticism and complaint by an idea that we are trying to help when we really just want to herald our own opinions? Are we people who neglect the gathering together of the saints as Hebrews spoke of? Or are we people who prioritize worshiping God with our brothers and sisters of faith? Are we people who are fleeing the youthful passions and pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, as 2 Timothy 2 says? Or are we like the generations of the world following after those things headlong? Are we people who are choked out by the cares of this world, or are we casting all of our anxieties on Jesus, the one who cares for us, as 1 Peter says? Are we people who are making a joyful noise to the Lord with all the earth, as Psalm 98 says? Or do we desire to critique everyone else's joyful noise and see if it meets our own standard of goodness? Are we people that are investing the gifts of God that he has given to us, or are we instead like the servant in Matthew 25 that was a wicked and slothful servant that withheld their inheritance and did not use it for God's kingdom? Are we people who are praying without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, or is prayer merely a Christian formality that we follow thrice a day to bless a meal? In all of these things, we must not deceive ourselves that hypocritical worship is something that is applicable to us here and now just as it was to the pharisees back then it is something that we must guard against and yet god's word being greater than the traditions of men is not something that's very politically correct today it's not something that's easily accepted or palatable to most people and that brings us to our second point this morning our second point in this sermon is this God's truth offends the transient traditions of men because it supersedes it. God's truth offends the transient tradition of men because it supersedes it. You might be thinking, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that it's offensive when anybody says, I'm right and the other is wrong. And the different ways of thinking that the Pharisees have and Jesus have, both cannot be right. One of them has to be right and one of them has to be wrong. 
And it's offensive because Christ's word is correct instead of the word of men. And this comes from verses 3 through 6 as well as verse 12. In verse 3, Jesus responds to the Pharisees' question by asking them a question. And he says to them, Well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is already given to God, then he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy that is within the tradition that the Pharisees are living because they're looking to play gotcha with him, and he instead flips the question and asks them a question for why they're laying aside God's word for their own tradition. And yet, you also see in verse 12 that this is something that was not easily palatable for the Pharisees to hear. In verse 12, it's a verse that looks like it was almost penned by something, somebody living in 2019. Because the disciples come to Jesus and they say, do, do, do you know that the Pharisees were like super offended by what you said to them? This was an offensive statement to the Pharisees. But why? Why was this an offensive statement? And why was it so offensive that disciples noticed it, and not just noticed it, but wanted to bring it up and question Jesus as to why it was so offensive? And it's because their framework for understanding God is completely contrary to what God's Word says. Because in God's Word, it commands us in the Fifth Commandment. If you grew up with a plaque of the Ten Commandments, you might remember the Fifth Commandment is honor your father and mother, Right? It's not easy just to scratch someone out because mom and dad will probably come back and notice somebody scratched it out and you don't want to keep it anymore. Jesus also quotes Exodus 21, 17, whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. And yet what the Pharisees were doing is also recorded in Mark 7, but what they were saying according to their tradition was if you wanted to honor your father and mother, you could give something to God and donate money or proceeds to the temple and if you were to do that, then since it's given to God, you don't have to fulfill the requirement to honor your parents. That's why Jesus is calling them out on this. That's what Mark calls as korban. That's something that is given to God. So if you were in a situation and you were saving for your parents when they were no longer able to work, and you were saving up so that you might be able to take care of them in their old age, but if you thought to yourself, you know, I don't really want to take care of my parents, then I need a spiritual way out of it. And your parents were to come to you saying, I need some, some money to be able to help provide for me because I can no longer work for myself. And if you were to say to them, you know, Mom, Dad, I'd really love to give you something. And I was saving this money to give to you, but everything that I was going to give to you has already been given to God. So, sorry. And while this is humorous and it seems very direct, it's a way to sidestep the commandment of God and fulfill tradition. And yet it's very hypocritical. And it's not what God intended us to do. And the Pharisees were not, somebody, were not a group of people that were looking to go against God in active rebellion. They thought that they were the representatives of God. Their tradition was built on God's word, but they extended it far beyond what God's word commanded. So they meant well, and they thought they were living according to God's word. But in reality, when they examined the footing that they were standing on, they weren't standing on a foundation of God's word but they were standing on their own tradition. And we always like to look at the Pharisees in the, in the New Testament and say, oh man, they're awful people, aren't they? I'm so glad I'm not like one of those Pharisees. 
Let me share a story with you from my own life where I very much had a similar perspective to the Pharisees. I was in Bible college in Chicago at Moody and studying the Bible because that's what you do there. And as I was studying the Bible, one of my professors had a discussion. And discussions are always fun because you get out of doing classwork. And so it was always a wonderful time. So he asked us to say, you know what? I want you to give your opinions on all of these really important issues. So what is your opinion on politics, natural disasters, abortion, social justice, all these things? And so as soon as we heard that as eager young college students, we said, all right. And we gave our opinions passionately with logic and rhetoric and understanding and all these different things. And we argued and argued and argued. And at the end, my professor said to us, okay, what's the highest standard for authority in your life? We all thought to ourselves, okay, what is he searching for? Looking for a question. And as good Bible school students, we thought, oh, of course, the Bible, God's word. Yes, God's word is our standard, thinking that we had passed the test. And what he said to me after that, and said to all of us after that question, was something I never forgot, and was the single most important thing I learned at college. He said, here are all of the things that you argued for. Your opinions, your perspective, your logic, your understanding are all these challenging issues. And yet you claim that God's word is your highest priority, your highest authority, the thing that you submit to above all else. And we said, yes. He said, well, then how come there was no crossover? And the things that were important to humanity and the things that were affecting our world and the things that we need God's truth in, you did not cite God's word once even though you claim to be Bible school students. And that was not a fun thing to hear, but that was an important thing to hear. Because I realized in that moment that us in our modern context is, are also easily deceived that we are standing on God's word and we prop up our position with scripture rather than looking at God's word as the authority that we all must submit to because it is God's word above all else. And again, like I said, it was not an easy thing to hear, but it was one of the most valuable things to hear. Because the Pharisees claimed that God's authority was the basis for their tradition, because it was based off of it. And yet, it was not. And in today, tradition tells us many things as well. Tradition of that time might have told them that eating with unwashed hands was something that would cause you spiritual defilement. But God's truth reveals that the, heartful, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. That's very different than washing hands being the source of defilement to your own heart. It's a lot harder to get rid of. Tradition can also tell us that we can't approach God because we are too broken, we are too sinful, we are not able to speak to God. And that's why God's word speaks of a mediator 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and yet there is also one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Tradition may also tell us that if we are a mostly good person when we die and we go and stand before God, that things will be okay. And yet James 2 says that whoever keeps the whole law, all of God's law, and yet fails at but one point has become accountable for all of it. Something complete, completely contradictory to so much of our understanding in our modern world. And tradition would also say that we need to do something, we need to work, we need to earn our salvation, because if God is so high in the heavens and we are so lowly and broken, then we must do something to better ourselves before God. And Hebrews tells us that that is not the case, because Jesus gave up his own life 
to be the sacrifice once and for all so that we would not have to earn our own salvation. And yet, ultimately, when we neglect God's word and we seek after transient tradition, we find that it is a vain pursuit. It's not something worth pursuing in entirety. And that brings us to our third point this morning. Our third point in our outline is this. The transient traditions of men are a vain pursuit. The transient traditions of men are a vain pursuit. Now remember, this isn't just all tradition is bad, but tradition based on the wisdom of men that is empty, that is temporary. If we base it off the wisdom of just regular people, that is actually a vain pursuit. That's what we're referring to. And this comes from verses 13 through 16. Look with me again at verse 13. Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, referring to the Pharisees. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? And yet, in this section, you see that Christ is addressing this idea that is completely foreign to the disciples. And you see that Jesus is addressing the first off the scribes and the Pharisees and then the people in the crowds and now just the disciples. And yet he says that the blind Pharisees are going to be people that eventually lead people into a pit because if the blind lead the blind, they will not lead them anywhere. And this idea is very similar to John 8 or if you go to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, this idea of God being light and us walking in darkness apart from God is very true as is expressed in John chapter 8, verse 12. And yet we might think and feel that we understand the world around us because we're all very bright people. We're able to look around the world and say, you know, I think I'm able to understand the world. I'm able to walk according to my own understanding, according to what I can do in this world. I think I can correctly analyze and figure out everything. And yet... This is not the case because based on our own wisdom, our own perception, our own understanding of the world, we are all blind apart from God's light. But with him, we're able to see the world clearly. I'm going to ask you another question this morning about blindness. Something that most of us don't have to deal with, but some people, they have to deal with their entire life. But if you were going to go to New York City, you were standing on the intersection of one of the avenues there, and a blind man came up with sunglasses and one of those sticks that they use for walking, if he were to come up to you and say, hey, can I help you cross the street, what would your reaction be? If a blind man walked up to you and said, can I help you cross the street, most of us would probably be a little bit dumbfounded and be a little bit shocked to say the least. And yet if we were a very nice person, we might say, no, sir, maybe, can I help you cross the street, seeing as you are blind and I am not. And yet, this idea of walking blindly into the unknown is this idea that Christ is speaking in this passage because when we walk apart from God's light and we walk in blind darkness according to our own understanding, we are not able to see what is in front of us, whether that be good or whether that be something that's dangerous to us. And this same idea is expressed as well when we talk about not only this life but also the life to come in eternity. Because nobody has been to eternity, but God has, and he knows what is on the other side of this life. And in, the mo- in a movie called Risen that came out in 2016, there was a Roman official 
that was looking for the body of Jesus. So the whole movie is trying to find the body of Jesus and to use it as proof that he didn't rise from the dead. And he eventually encounters the risen Christ. And Christ asks him a very intriguing question. He says, what frightens you to a, to a Roman official? Somebody who's in charge, someone who has power, somebody who shouldn't be frightened of things. And you know what he says to Christ? In the movie he says, what I'm afraid of is being wrong about life and wagering eternity on it. Being wrong about this life and wagering eternity on it. We live in a world where so few people actually think about truth. And what he is referring to in this line from the movie is that you're not really sure what's on the other side of this life. And if you don't have certainty that's based on truth, then you're wagering what eternity is. And you're not exactly sure. You can't have certainty. And yet, while we should always be respectful of other people's opinions and beliefs and should not be people that act in an arrogant way, are we people that are able to press deeply into the beliefs of those around us and ask the question, I know that you believe it, but do you believe it's actually true? Because there's a difference between belief that is be believing for just belief's sake and believing on something that is based on faith and based on truth. And Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And yet, Jesus is somebody who is able to claim that because he was not just a mere man operating according to the wisdom of men. He was not just going through this life and teaching a new philosophy or a new understanding or a new following just based off of the understanding of a mortal person. Jesus was the Messiah. He came to save Israel, and he was completely God and completely man, 100% man, 100% God when he came. And when he was charged by the high priest, asked, and they asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said in Mark 14, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Matthew's gospel, when it opens up, and, G and Matthew's trying to prove to those who are maybe coming from a Jewish background that he is the Messiah, covers his genealogy and prophecy, and he tries to argue the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, that Isaiah foretold, God with us. He's not just a good person. He wasn't a guru. He wasn't a philosopher. He was God with us. And But this is the reason that his teaching carried authority, because if God genuinely came down from heaven to earth, then what he said would be trustworthy, because the sum of God's word is truth, Psalm 119 says. Because he is holy and perfect and just, the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice, and he is not imperfect like we are. So that when he speaks about our world, there is not a hint of imperfection or fallibility. But this is why Jesus' truth is worth pursuing instead of the traditions of men in this world. And in our lives, we also need to be careful that we are not following after vain pursuits. And as Sean often says, sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. And for us in our own Christianity, what is the thing that drives our Christianity, our faith? Is it the latest trends that come and appear in our faith? Are we driven by a passion to only focus on Calvinism or Arminianism? Are we only focusing on raising awareness about sex trafficking? Are we only focusing on social justice initiatives? Are we only focusing on creation care? Are we 
only focusing on end times discussions? Or are all those things good things, but our ultimate goal is to seek God according to his word, the one who came to seek and to save the lost, those who are spiritually lost and in need of a savior? Only God's word is something that is able to show us what is truly worth living for in this life instead of the things that are vain. And yet, if the transient traditions of men are a vain pursuit, what can we turn to for truth? And our answer is in our fourth point this morning. Our answer is in our fourth point this morning. God's timeless truth correctly diagnoses the problem of the human condition. God's timeless truth correctly diagnoses the problem of the human condition. Most major world religions around the world will tell you that there's a problem with the human condition, and yet they will give all different kinds of reasoning and philosophy for how we should go about renewing it or fixing it or approaching it. And yet God's timeless truth in his word gives the correct diagnosis. And this point comes from verses 10 and 11 and 17 through 20. Verses, verse 10 says this, And Jesus called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth of a person that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And likewise, verse 17. Do you not know what whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But whatever comes out of the mouth, verse 18, proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. These verses, again, review what the focus of the Pharisees was at that time. Remember, what was the problem that they thought, what, would they, what did they think was the major problem of the disciples? That they weren't doing what? Washing their hands. Of all the things that you could say we're going to play gotcha on, you're going to focus on that. And yet, the Pharisees were like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand in Matthew 7. You might be familiar with it. Jesus, he tells a parable, and he says there were two men... And one built their house on bedrock, and one built his house on sand. And before the wind and the rains and the storm came, both seemed like they were good houses. In times of ease, in times where things were not challenging, both of them seemed to hold up just fine. But what happened when the winds came and the rains fell from the heavens and the storm came? The house that was built on sand was swept away. And the point that Jesus was making in that passage was that he who hears the word of God and builds his life upon it will be like a person who builds their house upon a firm foundation. And yet, the, the reason I mention this is because when we look at understanding our lives, we might think that there's something beyond our own evil heart that is the problem. We might misdiagnose the problem of the human condition. But is our understanding going to hold up when storms and trials come? Is our understanding of our humanity only good for when things are going well, when we're not in debt, and when our entire family is happy? Or does our worldview and our understanding of truth hold up even in the most difficult times? 
when things are challenging and it feels like there are storms all around us. And what Jesus says in our passage is very difficult because he says the source of the problem for all of humanity is within us. The source of the problem for the entire human condition is not something that we can blame and pass off to someone else or we can sidestep. It is within our very own heart. And the Old Testament sacrificial system that the Pharisees were so familiar with was not the end of worship, but it was to point to something greater, a greater sacrifice in Jesus who gave his life at the cross so that we might not have to be punished by God. As Hebrews 9.22 clarified, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And yet, again, our passage does not say that the source of the problem is food or works or just actions. Our problem is the heart of man. We were rebellious even from our very, very young years. And for all of us, this is particularly problematic. Because what do we like to do when we are told that we're the source of the problem? We like to dodge it, right? We like to excuse ourselves. We like to sidestep the problem so that somebody else can take the blame. And in a lot of understandings and traditions in the world, we might say that the problem with all of humanity, or even just myself, the reason that I'm imperfect, is maybe my parents' upbringing. Maybe they taught me a wrong lesson when I was growing up. Or maybe it was a social group that I hung out with for a time, and it was that social group that made me toxic and a sinner before that I was sinlessly perfect in the eyes of God. Or maybe it was our culture. You know, I was a perfect person, and then I was born into this just toxic and difficult culture, and that's what really messed me up. But what are we doing when we use any of those examples? We're sidestepping the problem so that we don't have to take responsibility for our heart being the source of evil, evil thoughts, as this passage says. And we might think that that's not true because we're a pretty good person. But I'd be willing to guess that you're not perfect. Because guess what? Neither am I. No one is perfect. And so often we think, when we think about God's standard of righteousness, or after we die, we're going to go and stand before God, and the general cultural understanding is usually that if we're 51% good, we go to heaven. But if we're 51% bad, then we go to hell. That's a lot of times the way that we understand things, right? If we're sharing our faith with those around us, we like to talk to people, and you might ask what their opinion is, and usually that's the understanding, right? But whose standard of righteousness is that based on? Ours. And what do we like to do? Sidestep and excuse ourselves. Because we are imperfect people. We are evil people. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans says. And if that is the case, then we are not trustworthy in defining what true morality is in this world. If I'm imperfect, I can't say that I know what the true definition of right and wrong is because I'm biased towards which side? Evil. And so that means that we must get a different standard of righteousness. And that is why we go to God's word, because he is not imperfect like we are. He is not corruptible like we are. He is not imperfect like we are. He is wholly, completely set apart and distinct from who we are. And that's why we're able to go to his word for what a standard of righteousness is. And even in the Old Testament, when, Jesus, when God was speaking to Moses, it says in Exodus 32, 33, God spoke to Moses and said, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book of life. 
Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And a lot of times, again, we go back to that understanding of if I'm mostly good person, I'm okay. And if I'm mostly bad person, then I'm in trouble. But even in the Old Testament, we're able to see that God has a high standard of righteousness. And if God were to judge the world according to that standard of righteousness without Christ, we would not have hope. And God's word in Romans 6.23 highlights both the problem for the human condition, but also our solution. Romans 3.23, or Romans 6.23, excuse me, says, for the wages of sin is death. Our diagnosis is that we are rebellious, imperfect, and evil. There's no sidestepping it. There's no excusing it. You can't point to a sibling and say they're the one who was the cause of it all. The problem of it is within our own self. We choose to rebel against God. But that same verse also contains our hope. And it is also from God's word. And it is just as trustworthy. And it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the solution is that Jesus was obedient and perfect and completely righteous. God sent Jesus into the world so that we might not pay the penalty for our own sins, but that we might be forgiven by turning to Christ and believing in him and being saved. And yet all these things that I've spoken of this morning, they come back to a very, very basic choice. Are we living by transient tradition that is based on men and has the potential to be contrary to God's word, or are we living by God's timeless truth? And remember what I said about myself in Bible college. A lot of times we say, mm, amen, those people need to figure it out. But there are times where we need to turn the mirror of God's word to our own life and say, where am I excusing myself and operating contrary to Scripture? Because God's word is able to work on us for an entire lifetime and not just for a season. Are we worshiping God hypocritically or are we worshiping God with heartfelt worship? Remember the Pharisees, they were offering lip service to God. They created rules so that they could follow them and feel good about keeping those rules. But in the end, it was a hypocritical form of worship because it was based on tradition that was contrary to God's law. Are we living by this tradition or by God's truth? As I said earlier, are we walking through life in fear of what is in the life to come and wagering our eternity on it? Because if we ask somebody around us, they're immortal just like us. But God is able to define what the true existence and reality is. The reality is that this world will not last forever, but one day we will pass away, and we either go to be with Christ in heaven, or we will go to hell in judgment. Are we people that are realizing that building our life on traditions that are not based on God's word will ultimately be a vain pursuit? Sometimes we think that something is so important, so good, so wonderful, and yet if it's not based on God's word or it's contrary to God's word, it can lead to a vain pursuit. And lastly, are we looking to God's timeless truth to realize that our problem for all of humanity is not in those around us, not in our upbringing, not in our context, but that it is because of the choices within our own heart, but that there is also hope because Christ came into the world to save sinners. Which are we living by? Transient tradition or God's timeless truth?
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are a good God who is worth following. God, we thank you that you are a God who saw our broken state and you didn't say shame on you, but you sent your son into the world to save those of us who are lost. And Lord, I pray for all of us here this morning that we might look to your truth to be able to understand how we should live and how we should go through life instead of trying to live it by our own wisdom and our own opinions because at some point, Lord, our opinion and our own wisdom runs out and sometimes we analyze situations wrong and we're not able to walk in truth. But Lord, I pray, would you help us to be people who, as James says, are, he- are hearers and doers of the word and not people who are hearers only and deceiving ourselves. And Lord, we thank you for your word and for the gift of your son because you sent him to save us from our imperfection and our evil. And you gave us your word so that we might know how to live by truth in this life because after we come to faith, it is still a challenge to walk in truth. And yet you gave it to us so that we might understand how to walk before you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, who has not ever come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord, that they might understand that Christ is not looking down upon them and saying that they can't come to faith, but that he sent his Son into the world to die on the cross for their sins and our sins so that we might not be judged according to it. And if that's you this morning, and you realize that you're a sinner and you want to come to know Christ, then it's as easy as ABC. You can admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and confess him as Lord. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this day that that desires to do that, that you would allow them to come and speak to myself, or that you'd allow them to come and speak to some of the elders here at the church, that they wouldn't leave here without speaking to someone. We thank you this day for who you are and for your truth. And we pray all of this in the matchless and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.